0: If uh, you are new at uh, Faith Westwood here today, I hope that the more you hang around here, you'll find that, you know, we're we're a lot like you. Uh, We're not perfect. We don't pretend to be. We're learning, though, to love God and to love each other and to love this world. And we have this hope because Jesus has brought us out of the darkness and into the light. Uh, The last several weeks, uh, God has been opening us up to this this world of bold praying and bold living. So I'm kind of curious, as we pastors are sometimes, is it Faith Westwood? Is it happening? Uh, Are you praying more boldly? Are you living more boldly? Have you taken a step in that direction? So I want you to think about that. Uh, We've we've been learning that there are many things God wants to do and will do when people pray. And and if you truly believe that, what would that change? How would that? Would you pray more often? Would you pray more expectantly? Would you pray more eagerly? And I'm not saying that we get everything we pray for. I don't. But the book of James and the Bible says, and and many of signs is true in our own experience... It says, you do not have because, and say the last words with me if you will, you do not ask God. We do not have because we do not ask. You know, prayer prayer is a great mystery, isn't it? Sometimes I pray once and an answer seems to come. Other times I may hold that prayer before the Lord for years before there's any kind of answer, if at all. Yet Jesus tells us, always pray and do not give up. He says, always pray and do not give up. And sometimes he changes what we pray for. Have you ever had that happen? The apostle Paul uh, prayed that a a painful thorn in his flesh would be removed. And we don't know what that thorn was. Might have been physical, might have been something else. But three times he prayed. Lord, please take it away. And there's nothing wrong with a prayer like that. And then, though, he got a message. Maybe it was just some sort of intuition from the Lord. We don't know. But, but the Lord was letting him know that it was time to change his prayer. Paul, pray instead that this thorn keeps you humble. Pray instead that this thorn reminds you that, that though you are weak, You have to rely on my power. Sometimes God changes what we pray. And part of being a disciple of Jesus is learning to pray for what God wants most. Learning to pray for what God wants most. Uh, In the early years after Jesus' resurrection, the people who belonged to him, they faced some serious times of persecution, uh, some were jailed, others were executed, all were threatened. And what did they pray for? Do you know? What did they pray for? Safety? Sometimes. But their prayers were much bolder than about safety. In Acts 4.29, it says they prayed, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness that's what they prayed for you know when I pray for my kids do I pray for their health yeah they're sick but most of the time I'm praying for something far more important than their health I'm praying for them to to hear from God to know the goodness of God to uh, be used by God I'm praying for them to know Jesus and have a deep experience of the Holy Spirit This is the way Jesus prayed for his disciples. This is the way the Apostle Paul prayed for his congregations. This is the way the early Christians prayed for each other. You know, I pray the Lord's Prayer now uh, almost every day. But I think sometimes we pray it so automatically, we seldom realize how bold it is. You know, if you or I had written the Lord's Prayer, it may have sounded something like this. Lord, We thank you for this day and for the nice weather we've been having and please keep my family safe and healthy and mine be the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. But that's not the prayer of Jesus. Jesus taught us to ask for God's kingdom to come to earth. He taught us to ask for God's will to be done and not our own. That is bold praying. He taught us to pray that everyone would have enough to eat each day. He taught us to forgive those who sin against us just as we ask for forgiveness for our own sins. He taught us to to pray to be led away from the lies of temptation and to be delivered from the power of the evil one. Let me tell you folks, that's not just saying a prayer, that's doing battle. And bold praying leads to bold living. When we pray for God's kingdom, that's when we start living out God's kingdom. We stand out. We're different. Philippians 2.15 tells us to be so different from the warped and crooked generation around us that we shine like stars in the sky. Many years ago when I was a pastor in a small town church, um, I was also a choir member sang in the choir, and we practiced in the sanctuary every Wednesday evening. And one night, while we were rehearsing, the lights went out. And let me tell you, it was D-A-R-K dark. <laughs> Even after, you know, giving our eyes a minute to adjust, I mean, you, you couldn't see anything. And, of course, this was long before cell phones, you know, you could hold those out. Finally, one of the sopranos uh, found her way to a lighter and an altar candle and once the candle was lit the entire room was visible. From the front of the sanctuary I could see all the way to the back row of the balcony. Every pew, every person came into view from just one candle. In the darkness... The light of one candle becomes bright and beautiful and oh so needed. You and I are called to turn people toward the light. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 26. We're going to look at verses 17 and 18 from what Gary read for us earlier in the Pew Bible. It's on page 1122. Uh, A little background here before we uh, read the passage. The Apostle Paul has been held in prison and is now facing a hearing before King Herod Agrippa II, who became king of Judea following his father's death in 50 A.D. Agrippa has arrived in Caesarea to make a courtesy call to the new Roman governor, Festus. In his defense speech, Paul relates his experience from years earlier. While traveling to Damascus, he and his companions were stopped in their tracks by a bright light, causing them to fall to the ground. It's so bright. A voice spoke to him in Aramaic, the language of Galilee and Judea. Uh, the voice addressed him by his Jewish name, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, we know that Paul Saul had been vigorously persecuting anybody who belonged to Jesus. So he, he replied to the voice. I see him going like this. Who are you, Lord? The voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Then Jesus told him to get up I told him the reason for his appearance was to appoint him to be a service, a servant and a witness who tells others about Jesus. So now let's start, pick it up with me at verse 17. It says, I, Jesus says to him, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. Translation, you're going to suffer a lot. You're going to need me to rescue you. Then Jesus says, I am sending you to them. Let's rewind and say those six words together there at the end of verse 17, shall we? I am sending you to them. Why? In verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You know, it's kind of ironic uh, for Paul that the result of seeing the light that day was blindness. But a few days later, his blindness was healed when one of Jesus' people came and laid hands on him and reaffirmed this calling. Did you see in the the paper this week that uh, uh, there are now more in the Omaha, greater Omaha metro, there are more than 900,000 people. And they expect that we're going to hit a million in, what, seven or eight years? Less than a decade. Uh, Think about all those people looking for hope, looking for guidance, looking for something solid upon which to build their lives. Have you ever driven by these huge apartment complexes and just wonder how many people must live there? Jesus said, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. Jesus sends you, and when you go, you will see people turn from the power of Satan to the power of God. In his book, uh, The Intercessory Life, Maxie Dunham tells about when his wife, Jerry, was a volunteer chaplain at the Shelby County Jail in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, Jerry asked the women in her church to pray for the women in jail. And she invited the inmates to, you know, write down their concerns, and then she delivered those prayer needs to the women who prayed for them. Each inmate had one person from the church who prayed specifically for her and her needs. Well, this went on for a couple of months, and then... One of the inmates suggested that this become a two-way process. Why not invite the women of the congregation to share their needs and allow the inmates to pray for them? Prayer partners. What a radical idea, huh? Light was taken into the jail, but now light was shining out from the jail. Jesus says, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. But we know when we do that, we have to stay humble because we're still learning to live in the light ourselves. There's a lot of darkness that hasn't been rooted out of us yet. We need God to keep changing us, but even while we're still in process, we can point the way. We can can show people. We can turn people from the darkness toward the light. What What kind of darkness does Jesus save us from? I want to offer a few suggestions here. Jesus saves us from the darkness of our aimlessness. We're like the Israelites who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they weren't willing to go into the promised land. We live in the darkness of aimlessness. You know, when the lights went out in that little church, um, we stumbled around trying to find our way. When the candle was lit, our direction became clear. That's what light does. So many people wander aimlessly through life, drifting from one weekend to the next, grinding out the work week in between. We wander through jobs and lovers and locations, or we work at the same job and live in the same house and stay in the same marriage our entire lives without really knowing why. Jesus looked at the crowds, and the Bible says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep. Without a shepherd, they were aimless, directionless, leaderless. Do you find yourself living in the darkness of aimlessness? Do you find yourself wandering through life without direction or purpose? There is hope, and that hope is found in Christ. He will show you who you are and what you were created for. Jesus will save you from the darkness of aimlessness. And Jesus saves us from the darkness of our self-medication. Now, how do we self-medicate? Well, the first thing we usually think of is alcohol, drugs. But we self-medicate in a lot of ways. We self-medicate with food. We self-medicate with pornography. We self-medicate with spending. We self-medicate with overwork and overbusinesses. And why do we self-medicate? Because we're insecure. We're in pain. We're afraid. We're lonely. We feel unattractive. We feel worthless. So we turn to things to make us feel better. See, self-medicating is an attempt to soothe that pain. It's an attempt to hide from what's really bothering us and eating at us. So instead of facing it and dealing with it, we, it helps us to just stay in denial. And as we know, self-medications quickly become addictions, or as the Bible would call them, our idols. Whenever we turn to lesser things to make us feel better, we're living in darkness. Do you find yourself Living in the darkness of self medication? Do you turn to things in an attempt to soothe your pain? There is hope. Jesus loves you with a love that goes to the deepest places in your soul, and the more you open yourself to that love, the more it will heal your heart. Jesus will save you from the darkness of self-medication. And Jesus saves us from the darkness of our success. And this one may surprise you. I mean, we think, you know, success is good. What's wrong with success? I mean, people go to their class reunions so they can brag, right? About their success or at least you know, try to appear successful. And at least we would say that people who are successful aren't aimless. They they see a goal and they go for it. So how can success be darkness. It's because success can blind us to what is most important. Everywhere you look, people are chasing championships. They're climbing the career ladder. They're living vicariously through their kids' success without ever asking where it will lead them. Jesus told a parable about a guy who made success his idol. And in the midst of all of his great many plans, he died. And God said, oh, you fool. He lived a wasted life. Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Do you find yourself living in the darkness of success in the darkness of striving for worldly achievement? Have you made success your God? There is hope. When you let go of building your little kingdom and put the priority on seeking God's kingdom, you begin to live in the light. Jesus will save you from the darkness of success. In, in John's gospel, a number of leaders eventually came to the point where they started to believe in Jesus, but they didn't want to, you know, follow him openly because they were afraid of what people would say. They, they, wanted, they were afraid they would lose their privileges. They, they, were, they wanted to maintain appearances. And, and it says why. It says they loved human praise more than the praise of God. They loved human praise more than the praise of god that is the darkness of success it's wanting people's approval more than god's approval and so jesus says i have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness do you find that you've been living in darkness well, there is a light that is shining. Turn by faith to Jesus and let him be a light for you. He promises to lead you so that you no longer wander aimlessly. He promises to comfort and heal you so self-medication no longer becomes your default response. He promises to give you a new definition of success, to live for God's praise and not human praise. And once you begin To live in that light, Jesus says, okay, now I am sending you. Yeah, you're still learning. Yeah, you feel unqualified and unprepared. But he says, I am sending you to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light.